Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Elizabeth Woodson and Adam Hawkins. On this episode, we're going to talk about the new Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, and discuss how we might process the dangers of social media as Christians. All right, Adam and Elizabeth, let's start off. Let's just get it all out on the table. How many hours a day do you spend on social media, Adam Hawkins? Would you say between 12 and 15 or between 15 and 24? I spend zero hours a day on social media. What? I don't have any. I don't have any. Uh, you don't. I don't. Well, what's with that fake that fake account that Elizabeth's been running for you called yeah. Ad Hoc? Is really great. Really? You got to tell the world about that, Heather? <laughs> <laughs> Heather, if that's true, that's awesome. Heather um, found out that my in- I have an Instagram from forever ago. Heather's my wife. Yeah. And uh, I was like, can you delete that? I don't even know how to delete it. It's been so long since I've been on Wait, does it have that old picture of you with a deep V white oh, t-shirt sure. where your chest hair is kind of coming at your face? I am sure <laughs> it does. And also, I don't have oh, that much chest that. hair. I have the perfect <laughs> amount. My mom told well, not- me. Oh, well, your mom would know. She's on social media. She probably has that picture. Uh, Elizabeth Woodson, would uh, you're active on at least one platform, I think. Maybe two. I think I, I, we're Instagram follower buddies or something. I don't know we how are. you say it on there, but what else are you on? I, I'm I'm really only on Instagram. I feel bad for people who friend me on Facebook because I haven't posted anything since 2018. <laughs> so it's like, what you see when you're not my friend is what you'll see when you are my friend. But I appreciate the connection. Are you getting texts from I those do. friends saying, hey, Elizabeth, have you heard about COVID? You've been... <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I'm in the mix a little bit. Yeah, I probably this documentary helped push me further over the edge, um, what we're going to talk about today. But I've kind of been backing off. So I like have five minutes on my phone. Like I will be on my computer, but like after five minutes, all my stuff shuts off on my phone. Oh, you have it set up so it shuts off after Mm -hmm. five minutes. What do they call that, that setting? That screen time something, I don't know, on Apple phones. Oh, that's great. It kind of guards mm-hmm. your guards your social media so you only get five minutes a day yeah. on there? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I think the world needs that. I don't, but the world does. I'm on social media probably um, two and a half hours a day, I would bet. Yeah. Uh, I am sucker for um, cat videos, uh, news bloopers, old family feud rerun bloopers, okay. things like that. And uh, Okay. Okay, it's not Listen, two and a half hours. I can but- go into a YouTube black hole for sure. Oh, come on. There's yeah, no doubt about definitely. that. I thought you were talking more just like the platforms themselves, like a Facebook or Instagram or something. Well, and I think that's actually a good distinction because I think some of a lot of what they're talking about and some of the guys that are in this documentary we're about to talk about are from Google. And while Google has an interest in keeping you online and so does YouTube, really the social dilemma focuses on social media like Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Pinterest got a lot of got a lot of pub on there. Although Pinterest is way off my radar at this point, um, it's great though. Is it Pinterest really great? Is great. 
If you want to know if a pair of shoes and a shirt match, just put it in a Pinterest and pictures pop up. Oh, it's pictures great. pop up. So it's not like you're yeah. interacting with people. The pictures tell you? Kind of, sort of, yeah. It's like you, it's more of a creative board type of um, layout than kind of scrolling. So that's awesome. Pinterest well, is cool. That's super I helpful. never know if my, sh- if my shoes match. <laughs> so... I can be opening a Pinterest account after this. Because I need some like short. If you like culture matters, you can find us on Pinterest. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start. Let's get a MySpace page. That's what we need to bring back. Oh, where is Tom? Yeah. Where is Tom? My buddy Tom. (laughs) I I heard recently some uh, celebrity was making fun of Tom, like, oh, MySpace is the worst. He's like, yeah, it really was awful retiring with hundreds of millions of dollars before I was 30. You're right. What a bad idea. Anyway, well, tonight we're talking about uh, the new documentary on Netflix, The Social Dilemma. And if you haven't seen it, I think this uh, episode will still be interesting to you. It's it's technically a docudrama, but it's kind of like a documentary. And it's about, well, let's hear from you. Elizabeth, you've seen it very recently. Give us a little bit of like, what is this documentary really about? What's the thrust of the show? I, mean, I think the thrust of the show is to let us know... Um, kind of what happens behind the scenes on our social media platforms and how what we think is just happenstance. So we think what just comes out on our, up on our feed is actually really controlled um, and really controlled to point us in a very specific direction and how, I think they talk a lot about artificial intelligence um, and how we start to question, we start to absorb information and question truth in such a way because of what we're being fed. And what we're being fed is not unintentional, but really intentional in ways that should have us concerned about how we use social media. Um, and so the fact that we're so polarized politically or polarized in other places of um, opinion is not a surprise. Like systems have been built to get us there. And so I think the the thrust of this documentary is to make us very aware of something that's happening, that the point is that we're not supposed to be aware of it. Yeah, one of the words you just used, polarize, is one of the things they talk about in the show that shows how increasingly polarized we are and how social media has played a factor in that. We should say, too, at the very beginning, they mentioned the good that can come from social media, although that plays a very small role in the purpose of the documentary. They do say that's possible, but it's uh, some people will say it's kind of dastardly the way, how it's polarizing people, but really their motivation, it seems like, uh, in the interviews with these social media moguls, is not that these uh, platforms are trying to polarize you, it's that they feed you what they think will keep you online, and therefore, if you love conspiracy theories that are right-wing, or you love conspiracy theories that are left-wing, or you love this candidate or that candidate, or this idea or that idea, they will keep feeding you related ideas to keep you engaged online, keep you on the platform, and keep you going. And, and that has increased polarization. One other, I think, thematic thing that was really interesting to me, and then Adam, I'd love to hear just kind of your initial thoughts on, on watching it, but um, they said, if you are using something like this for free, then you should assume that you are the product. The product. Yes. you. And that's kind of the theme that kind of rings throughout. And that was one of the more shocking things to think about. If you're using Instagram for free, then assume that you are the one being sold. You are being sold to someone because someone is making money with Instagram. Adam, when you watched The Social Dilemma, what stuck out to you? Were you shocked, concerned, or were you just like, yeah, of course, that's why I'm not on social media to begin with? Uh, No, I mean, I think that piece that you just brought up was um, 
fairly alarming to me. The the way one of the experts on there put it, uh, who was he, he's sort of a they called him like the found a founding father of the internet. He he's sort of an interesting looking dude for sure, but he was an interesting <laughs> dude as well. And one of one of the things he said was that it's not just that you're the product; it's the gradual, imperceptible change in your behavior that's the product. In other words, it's the how do we keep you online? How do we keep you coming back, right? So it's like, how do we keep you engaged? How do we grow your engagement in this thing? Uh, and then how do we advertise to you uh, in such a way that, you know, we can predict your behavior? And um, uh, so that to make the ad almost uh, uh, work every time, right? And just the fact that that didn't come out of some nefarious place. It came out of these ideas to optimize our use and, um, um, you know, uh, uh, to, to help us out or to help these companies out. I mean, I think one of the big things that struck me, although it's not exactly what we're getting at, is you have these companies that don't sell anything. And so in trying to figure out how to monetize it, they really they really had to turn to the only thing they had which was the people who were engaged in them to try to monetize yep. that. So again, I, I'm users. saying, yeah, users. So again, I think what is crazy to think about is that this has been this vast social experiment for the past 15 years and every single data point about its effect on society is really scary just about to, to, to be sure there are some positive things, but, um, as, as it relates to a society as a whole, we're more depressed, we're more anxious, suicides are up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they can track all of those things back to social media. And that to me is just an insane, an insane thought, you know, has, you know, has finding your old classmate online. Is that really worth you know, the anxiety uh, and and really this narcissism that's being fed back to us. My last point really quickly is just to say this, Adam, you talked about it briefly, but the polarization piece, if you really think about what's happening is somebody is taking inclinations and um, these companies are taking inclinations and, and sort of the little things and desires that are already within you and they are helping metastasize those into these really, I, I don't know, the, the furthest and most extreme versions of your pleasures, of your preferences, of all those things. And I think we'll get there, but I think what the Bible would say about that is that's almost always a recipe for disaster. So, Yeah, and I want to come back to that in a second. Uh, Elizabeth, part of the uh, one of the elements of this film is they do have a dramatized version. They have a family that's going through and, and, a, and a, a kid who goes without his phone for a few days, uh, a young girl, which I thought was probably the most emotional and realistic part is a young girl who's posting pictures of herself and hoping for likes. And then really, they show her really uh, dealing poorly with the insults that she receives, kind of the online bullying that can happen. How did when you were watching that? Because it is kind of two things. It's this interviews with internet people, but there's also this drama. Did that drama strike you as cheesy, or did it uh, seem uh, like uh, poignant? What stuck out to you from that element of the film? I, mean, I think honestly, what stuck out to me was just how I feel like it just told the story of how 
um, social media affects a younger generation. So, you know, you have us who remember, I mean, I remember when looking at my Facebook, waiting for them to add my college to the list. Like I remember life before Facebook and really social media became big, but you have um, a younger generation who's affected by this in super significant ways. And so to see that girl just so crushed, it was just like one bad comment. She had so many good comments, but someone said something negative about her appearance and you just see her crushed in her spirit. Um, And like Adam was saying, just the rates of depression and anxiety and suicide. um, Like they were talking about how we created the like button because we wanted to make people joyful and to share joy and love and didn't know that that like button would add to so much that's happening um, with the mental health of folks. And so it just, or even the, this boy who can't, mm-hmm. he can't stop looking at his phone. Um, and so he tries, but he he ends up being drawn back in by this random um, notification that he sent. And it just is, this is hurting our younger generation in significant ways. Um, and I think what is to come, what will we see in years and decades to come? And so that docudrama, I mean, it was just, you know, it was an interesting piece to have in a documentary but it was really, that really kind of caught my heart strength, which was probably the point um, of what it's doing to the younger folks. Because it's, yeah, folks are really struggling um, with some of the negative effects of social media. Yeah, I think two of the things you just mentioned are uh, kind of stuck out to me too. That fact that I grew up in a generation that didn't have, I mean, we didn't have cameras everywhere we went. And this generation, I, I can't tell you how awful it would have been for me if everybody I knew had a camera or if you had access to pictures of your classmates or if people could post and communicate to the level they do now. I, the, the levels of debauchery or anger or bullying that I would have been involved in or victim of, I just can't even imagine. Uh, and even now, uh, a lot of that movie, in fact, uh, the notifications you mentioned, they were personified by, I don't know the actor's name, but he's a guy from, he's on Mad Men is what I know him from. He's okay. an actor from Mad Men and he plays the algorithm. You know, he's kind yeah. of um, personifying the algorithm and and they're like sending notifications. And one of the things they say at the end of the movie is uh, turn off your notifications is one of the best things you can do. And since I don't get notifications, that really wasn't like resonating with me. But to your point. Where there's a young generation who is starving for notifications, starving for likes, is so hungry for affirmation, and so beat up by the ease of abusing one another through social media. And I know schools have had to get involved in online bullying circumstances. Uh, technology demands from young kids who want to keep up with their classmates. That really leads to uh, awful exposure to things way too young. And I feel like I've been spared a lot of that. But I don't want to do this like, hey, here's old man style. I just get off of social media like Adam Hawkins and everything will be better. I want to also understand this is something really helpful for parents and parents Adam and I's age too. We've got young kids who don't have phones yet. At least I don't think Adam's do. But, you know, the day's coming where our kids are going to have access for things. And I want to be really, really wise thinking about what are the uh, ramifications and the results. All right, Adam and Elizabeth, let's talk some about uh, some of our concerns that come from this. Adam, what do you feel like some of the biggest dangers, you as a dad maybe, or as a pastor, as you think about these things, what are some of the biggest dangers of social media for our society and for us as a people why would we, I mean, we're not being old curmudgeons, are we saying like, oh, just stay off the Facebooks and everything will be fine. But at the same time, there's got to be real dangers we should be aware of. What are they? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there are really there are so many. We've touched upon some of them already. One is polarization, which I think we can see in this election season just plaguing plaguing us, right? Um, and there was a study. French actually talked about it. David French, friend of the show, he actually talked about it in his book. There was a study done years and years ago uh, when you put people in a feedback loop where they're only getting things that information uh, that they want when they're never being challenged, when they're always just sort of in their comfort zone, they actually tend to lean towards extremes. Um, so you have that because all these algorithms are, are trying to keep us comfortable. So we're not really going to be on a news site and they're going to send us some, you know, the algorithm is going to send us a message challenging us. It's always going to be there to make us comfortable. And so I think we're going to become more extreme. The second thing I think is the mass societal problems. We've touched on those too. Uh, when we're, we're talking about anxiety, um, we're talking about um, depression, we're talking about um, sort of the breakdown of I don't know, I guess the breakdown of deep community and so loneliness sort of being being something that comes from this. Um, so, so these are like the big societal things we're talking about. You also have uh, the issue of um, things like fake news they talk about a little bit on there. Uh, so when when so many people are engaged in on these sites, then just a little bit of false information can have an impact you also have the, you know, this could this could be a positive, but we've really seen it in, in sort of in, in some bad ways, um, sort of the atomized or extreme opinions find each other on these places and actually allow the extreme views out there to almost become normalized as they find each other. So you have the growth of like white supremacy, um, certain left-wing groups, you have the growth of the, what are those weird do incels? Um, and I, I'm not trying How about to about QAnon. Yeah. QAnon conspiracy theories. You've got all these kind of things that, you know, may seem like good weekend fun joke, uh, joking, but like, um, obviously, but, but are really dangerous, really, really dangerous and have very real world consequences that we need to be aware of. So that's, the, that's the bucket I would say of like large societal things. But then when you move into these, what you're talking about, the concerns I have for my kids, those kind of things, I really am concerned about a world that wants to sell them superficial connection and call it connection. I'm really concerned about a world that says, um, you know that little thing in your heart when you see the three dots, that little feeling that you have when you see the three dots and you're waiting for somebody to respond to you, what, how easy is it to just um, to be, wait with bated breath for something that's so unimportant, frankly, to be, to be really honest? Um, you know, those kind of things, what that does to you, what it does to have entertainment always. What does it mean that you can always be superficially entertained? Like those, those kind of things are super dangerous. And not to mention all the pressure put on both boys and girls to fit in, to look a certain way, to measure up to a standard of beauty. I could go on and on forever. I already have, so I'll stop there. I'm sure you guys have some things to add. But I think there's so much to be concerned about. I really do. That's a, that's, that's really helpful. Elizabeth. So Adam spoke to us a little bit as kind of a pastor dad. Can you speak to us as a Bible teacher, single woman? What kind of things, I know you've spent a lot of time in singles ministry. You think about these things, social, 
social networks, what's the danger that you see to the people that you lead? I mean, I think one thing that um, one of the main um, voices in the movie talked about was just the breakdown of truth. And so, like, you don't know what truth is and you don't know where, where to get truth and how that just disintegrates societies and communities, I think, add to the polarization we're talking about and just how a lot of people feel that way. They just don't know what's true, feel that same way. I mean, I think we say that sometimes, many times in the Christian faith, I know we're going to get there, but just who should I listen to and who's telling me what's true and what's not true but just to me, that stood out as a significant undergirding issue that relates to so many other things of just who we become and what we do when we feel like truth is not, that's not this one authoritative truth or source of truth that we can go to, then everything becomes true. And if everything's true, nothing's true. Um, and so I think just breakdowns that are are manifested through other things that we see. And then just you know, you just have people trying to find community online in ways that are unhealthy. They are putting forth a version of themselves that is not true. Um, and so you're not posting um, your best pictures on Instagram. Like you're not posting, um, everybody sees everybody's wedding photos and, and baby photos and like these wonderful, ooh, you know, it's all so good. We're loving each other during COVID quarantine. Nobody posts the arguments. Nobody posts folks sleeping in separate beds. Yet. Like nobody posts any of that stuff. Um, and so you get an inaccurate view of what life looks like. And we just, we want perfection and perfection we cannot attain and perfection we cannot keep up because we're just not made to live that way. Um, and so you have people consuming at high rates, levels of perfectionism, and then they are trying to, I mean, you have apps that will help you make your pictures look perfect. Mm -hmm. As if you taking a picture in good light is not good enough. Um, and as a person who uses those to post pictures on Instagram, yeah. you know, I'm victim of the same systems that I have comments about. But it just is... We don't know how to be ourselves and we don't know where truth comes from. And we are looking for identity in places that identity shouldn't come from. And then that just unravels into a whole bunch of foolishness um, that we see when folks come into the church. And so those are some of the things that I see from my perspective as um, some of the dangers that are out there. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things that the documentary makes really obvious to someone who has a Christian worldview is that when you give people, humans, the opportunity to create and curate the way they see fit, you will end up with a lot of broken commandments and you will see a lot of sin on display. I mean, you go top to bottom, you'll see people creating false gods out of celebrities. You'll see people who, who do not follow the one true God, that's for sure. You'll see people using the Lord's name in vain, not honoring their parents. Uh, absolutely, it is a window to adultery. It's a window to hatred. And you talk about probably the one, and, and to lies, like you're talking about, and to deception. But uh, probably the most significant, I think, sin issue that's on full display in any version of social media is covetousness. What you see in the reason that we're driven there is we want to be liked as somebody else is liked, or we want to look like somebody else looks, or we covet somebody's in, uh, being impressed with us or their impression of us or creating a different reputation for ourselves, or just the desire for somebody else's wife or donkey or maidservant or manservant, whatever they're posting about on social media. You know, not a lot of donkey pics out there probably, but there are a lot of pics of like, check out my... Uh, 
Uh, check out my bathroom uh, remodel. Check out my the new house that we bought. Check the vacation that we just went on. And so that leads to this coveting thy neighbors fill in the blank is something that social media easily, easily leads to. Now, I think some people would then look at social media and say, well, social media must be amoral, you know, and so how can we possibly hold Mark Zuckerberg accountable if it's the way people are using his platform? And if we agree the platform can be used for good, then why do we rip on things like Facebook? Uh, Do you guys, in watching that documentary, you can see several times, I think Tristan is kind of the main speaker in the whole thing, and he was, I want to say, an ethicist for Google or something like that. Um... They hold Mark Zuckerberg and other CEOs accountable. They're saying this is a problem that they need to address. And uh, I don't know if I came to the same conclusions, but I don't know if I know all the inner workings. Do you, do you guys look at social media and think, yeah, the, the problem here is the boss. The problem here is the, the system and what needs to be addressed is the way they're doing it. And I believe there is some of that, but it seems like maybe a little bit of kind of the American idea of somebody to blame and who can we blame but the person in charge. It can't be us. It's got to be uh, the, the CEO and Mark Zuckerberg being the most, I think, visible one, who's the CEO of uh, Facebook and Instagram. But am, am I wrong on that? Do I, do I need to have more uh, animosity in my heart for what Zuck, Zuckerberg is doing to me and my family? I mean, I think I would say the responsibility um, needs to be placed on Zuckerberg and all these guys um, in such a way that we, we place responsibility on any other entity in which we engage with. And so at the very end, he used this example of like, the phone company has all your information, but they have regulations on how they use that. Um, And so there are areas in which that there can be regulations on social media and these platforms and how they use our information and advertising in ways that we, that are opportunities to safeguard against some things. But to say that the buck stops with Zuckerberg, I mean, that's just, it. we as users, um, also have a responsibility, and then there's just other entities too. But I do think there's a place to increase levels of regulation that maybe aren't present right now because it's just so fresh and so new, and people are becoming aware of the consequences of having just free markets out there um, <laughs> that are able to do what they want to do in terms of social media. You're exactly so. right. I think we've got outdated regulations in a lot of areas. Even, uh, and Adam, I know you're our resident expert lawyer, but uh, I talked to a couple lawyers a couple weeks ago just about the outdated laws on using uh, the internet for trafficking, for trafficking people, humans, women, children, and how our regulations just aren't up to date. And I think you're right. The, the phone company has a hundred year head start on regulation from the government on how they handle people's personal information. And social media just does not so far, nor does any internet entity, really. The the ability to track through your cookies or anything else online, uh, who you are and what you do. Okay, as we kind of come to a conclusion here on what we think about the social dilemma as a film, but also we've been talking a lot about social media in general, let's talk about what Christians should do when it comes to social media. A, A frequent question I like to ask you guys is just if... If somebody were to come to you and say, man, when I get my report back on my phone that says how much time I'm on it, it says I'm on it, you know, three hours a day. And it says, uh, and I know a lot of that time is social media and I know that they're selling me, but I just get caught and stuff. Or maybe they just say, I see all the positives. Adam, what would you caution your people with? Or what what kind of precautions would you tell them to be aware of as they're entering into the, the realm of social media? Yeah. 
you know, I'm trying to think through so many things here as you ask that question, because there is this part of my brain that jumps to, well, I want them to see this documentary. I want them to be informed users. You know, it's good to be informed. Um, I don't know how much that's my role as a, uh, as a, as a pastor to say, watch a movie or something like that. <laughs> but I do think, um, I do think it's good to be informed. I think the second thing though, is to really, one thing we really need to do is contrast what social media is in, in, and it's the world, uh, and what we offer. So the way that I like to talk about it is, you know, the world wants to offer you a superficial vision of community. God offers depth of community because he has perfect community within himself. The world wants to offer you a superficial picture of beauty. You see that on social media and it leads to ashes. But God is the source of all beauty. And as we worship him, what does that do? It changes what we perceive as beautiful. And it actually draws us closer to God first, but people, people who aren't like us and people who are different from us and all these other things, right? And you can just keep going down the line. What's social media trying to offer? It's offering a type of communication that has at its core manipulation and trying to get you to buy something. But when God communicates to us, he's offering forgiveness and love and depth and, you know, on and on. And so I think, I think it, yeah, I actually think what I would tell people and maybe a harder question that I would, would just say is, um, do you really even need it? Do you really even need it? And as somebody who's not on it, I know that can sound pretty cheap coming from me. I get it. Sure. Uh, you know, I get for jobs, you got to have certain things. I do. I understand that there are certain things you got to have. But just in terms of if you really put your phone away, um, what would be the worst thing that happened? And I think the worst thing that would happen is you'd have to sit with yourself and that can be really uncomfortable. But what you'll find is that God meets you there. I think that's what I'd say. No, that's beautiful. That's very poetic. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, you are on social media. You're on Instagram. If one of your people saw this documentary and they came to you with kind of this demonized view of social media and said, why are you even on there? Uh, what, what would you say to them? What is the good to be uh, attained by being on there? And then what precautions would you share with them that you take to make sure that you're not part of the the victimization of being a uh, sold commodity to somebody on the internet? Yeah, I mean, I, I think social media, like anything, is a tool. Um, and so what this documentary and other books and other things that have talked about this kind of topic about the dark side of social media tell us really is that social media does those kinds of things when we're just not aware and we're just sucked into this hole of just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and clicking on things and sharing stories, but we're not really thinking or engaged our minds aren't on. And so it's always a question of how are you being formed? Your formation is intentional and it's whether through the habits that you're doing, whether you are knowledgeable about those habits or those habits are in your subconscious. And so that you would see social media through the lens of the, of the Christian story, through the lens of Christ, um, and that you'd be able to evaluate your usage. Anything that we use in excess, scripture tells us, is something that we shouldn't, a space we shouldn't be. And so you have so many hours in the day, and if a good majority of those hours are spent scrolling through social media and consuming information about people's lives, then how is that affecting you? How is it affecting your mental health? Um, it's a way to stay connected to people. It's a way to share information. Um, and when I when it comes to how I use it, I use it with those things in mind. And so I know that, that social media can make me feel really bad about myself. Honestly, I get on Instagram and I get off 
And I'm like, why do I feel bad about myself? Um, and I was like, well, I have control over who shows up in my feed. And so this is really intentional. I follow certain people that are inspirational, that inspire me about maybe being creative or just beautiful things. Um, and so I don't follow a whole lot of people. My Instagram feed is this um, Chrome plugin that looks like a creative Pinterest. Hey, shout out to Pinterest one more time. <laughs> Pinterest board. Um, so it's not a scroll. Like I can see 15, 20, 30 Instagram posts in one computer screen. I have a really big computer screen. Um, on Twitter, I have this um, plugin that gives me the ability to just, my feed is gone. It is replaced by like this really inspirational quote. Um, and so I can search for people, it, the same thing on Facebook. And these are choices I've made so that I don't fall into the black hole. Um, but it's me knowing maybe I need to get my news from a news source, like the New York Times or the Washington Post or CNN and not social media. Um, maybe I need to limit the amount of time I have on there so I can use it rightly and get the good that's out of it, but also recognize if I'm not paying attention, I'm going to fall into some holes that are unhealthy. And like Adam said, how much do you really need it? Um, because we don't know how to be bored. We don't know how to sit with ourselves and we don't know the things that God can do in those moments because we're always entertained. And I do not think it's healthy for us to always have something going on, um, and we're not able just to sit in silence with the Lord. That's good. I want to um, point out one thing that I don't know that they said much about in the documentary, uh, which is that historically there have been many other avenues through which people advertise to people. And that can be commercials on television, but certainly for a long time when print was the only thing, there was, or radio, there's radio ads, there's print ads. When we were growing up, uh, if you got a newspaper or often a quote-unquote free magazine, it was free because there's advertisers in there that support the cost of that. They Maybe your parents were coupon cutters where they found ways of saving money. And the difference in social media that seems insidious but maybe is just brilliant is that the advertisements are kind of curtailed to your taste. And in some ways, that's beneficial to me. I'm going to see ads for things that maybe I'm interested in instead of a bunch of bizarre ads that waste my time on TV. I don't know if you've ever been caught watching a show and you realize that the demographic that it must be watching the show must be like, oh, this must be for all 80-year-olds. They're all they're just advertising like dentures and CPAP machines. And uh, and you're watching Matlock and you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I, I don't watch Matlock, but I imagine that's kind of who's advertising there. Whereas when I go on my social media, the ads are for, um, you know, pocket knives. And I'm like, well, I, I like pocket knives. That's great. That's kind of a cool thing. And, and so I don't want to just demonize advertisers, marketers, people who are trying to sell products. Because honestly, one of the reasons my church is on social media is because we want people to be aware of what we're doing. Now, we're not... Uh, sponsoring ads to get people to buy something, but we want to help our people be aware of what the gospel ministry is in our community. And I do see good things that come from that when you're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Obviously, it can also be a tailspin of hatred, a place full of bullying and fake news. Uh, but I don't even think that, uh, what I'm trying to say is I don't even think that um, customized ads are necessarily this this evil thing that needs to be removed. Part of me is like, yeah, I'm going to find ads anywhere. This one, I, I understand. I see it. I scroll by. And I think the movie helps you understand uh, what is happening there and 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 uh, and maybe be a little bit wiser about not falling for something, but at the same time, not necessarily inherently evil. 
Um, that is not to say that I do think there should be reckless abandon when it comes to social media, scroll it all day. I think like you said, Elizabeth, you intimated, there's this uh, great verse in Ephesians uh, where Paul says, let's make the best use of our time because the days are evil. Uh, Paul, or I'm sorry, um, John Piper said once that when the Lord returns, there'll be a, a great uh, turnout from, or a great result from Twitter and Facebook and social media is that none of us will have any excuse for prayerlessness because we'll be able to look at your feed and see how much time did you spend doing that? And if that time had been dedicated to the Lord, and that can be true about anything we're taking our time doing. I think one of the things I'd say to our people is if you're busy enough doing godly things, if you're busy enough doing the things of the Lord, then social media kind of gets the volume turned down because you're not idly sitting around scrolling. You're busy parenting the kids that are right in front of you instead of looking at your phone near them. You're busy connecting with your community instead of seeing your community online doing something. You're doing it with them. Uh, You're busy getting involved in your church instead of just seeing what your church has done. So I think if you're as engaged in the in the real world as I would like you to be, then social media is going to be kind of a sweet little add-on of a scrapbook, or uh, for me, it's a way to let my family and friends from far away know what's happening in my life or to engage my church. And there's a lot of holy ways to use it, but there are absolutely a lot of ways that it's been twisted and it's been used, and there's a great desire in the human heart to be affirmed that makes it something that distracts and, and is detrimental to the human heart as well. Uh, like I said about the drama, seeing the little girl who was told her ears looked like elephant ears and seeing how she looked at herself in the mirror, it just broke my heart because I know how real that can be and how how really damaging uh, something said with the internet bravery of not having to look somebody in the eye can be something that haunts a girl or a young boy for the rest of their lives. And I certainly don't want any of that. So I think especially somebody can refer back to our TechWise family podcast with Andy Crouch, which was so good. Him just talking about what technology decisions we should be making with our kids, but also us as, as adults and as Christians, we need to make some uh, we need to make some decisions, and and we're not saying social media is inherently evil, but let's recognize uh, the purposes behind it and the money that's driving it. And then, like you said, Elizabeth, I'd love to see some regulations that are going to protect people from it. Um, yeah. Uh, one last thing I'll say. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago about regulations, and they were saying that in um, in Great Britain, you have to opt in. Uh, in order to have access to certain things, including adult content. And in America, we have an opt-out culture, which means you have access to everything unless you change that. And it was just a fascinating thing I hadn't thought much about. I'd love for us to be more of a, a, a opt-in culture where we say, I'm not going to look at ads unless I've decided to. I'm not going to be on these social media unless I decided to, because I know that with it also comes adult content because that's what's going to drive clicks up is exposure uh, to pictures and ideas that are also uh, detrimental to our society. And while we didn't talk much about that this week, I think you can listen to other episodes we've done on pornography and certainly talk to your pastor about that. If that's if something like Instagram or Facebook or Twitter has led to anger for you, or hatred for you, or lust for you, or coveting for you, that's something to walk through with your community and with your pastor and uh, talk about uh, how you'd like to repent and walk forward in strength going forward. So I, I hope this episode encouraged you. I hope that you use social media responsibly and well. And if you watch The Social Dilemma, I hope that your eyes are opened to the, the human heart and how it, has, uh, how it has manifested itself now on the internet. Well, 
Well, thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram. That's right. You can follow us on Instagram. Do something good with your social media. And you can also support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. Thanks and God bless.